0: You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton and I'm so glad you're here. Steph Miramontes has fitness coaching to another level by inspiring deep change that goes beyond the diet. With the passion for helping emotional eaters and yo-yo dieters lose weight for good, she coaches women to radically transform body, mind, and soul using a non-diet and pleasure-centered approach. When she's not whipping your brain and body into shape, Steph loves to spend time watching the sunset, tending to her farm animals, and getting lost in books. Steph and I have an incredible conversation about buffering. And no, it's not the buffering where you're waiting for a video to load and it's something happens in between. This buffering takes place when there's a painful or traumatic experience in your life and you want to do something to avoid feeling that pain. I had so many incredible takeaways from this conversation and I know
1: you will too. Enjoy.
0: Steph, welcome to Brokenhearted. I'm grateful that you're on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Steph, you're very welcome. We are going to dig deep into buffering. And I know that when you say the word buffering, I know the image that comes to my mind is a video that's tried to load on a really slow internet connection. <laughs> but that's not the buffering that we're going to talk about today. And the buffering that we're going to dig deep into is this concept that I see so often, when our hearts are broken in many different ways. And when I first heard of buffering, I realized that I have done this in my own self and my own journey. So, Steph, break it down for us. What is buffering?
1: Yeah, so I think that everybody has done some of this and not realize it. And I think that all of us still do a lot of this and not realize it. Buffering is any behavior that you participate in sometimes automatically that helps you to um, either avoid or distract you from any negative experience that you're going through in that moment. Um, That manifests sometimes with things like shopping or things like emotional eating, which is what I deal with the most, even things like Netflix and social media scrolling, um, anything that just is like, you know what I would rather not do, deal with my pain and my emotional Sort of issues, or even a work project that I don't want to get into right now. So I'm going to, you know, open and close the fridge 15 times, or I'm going to, you know, just hop on Instagram real quick and and scroll. And before you know it, it's 45 minutes and you still haven't done what you were going to do, or something like that. It just eases the pain long enough that um, you don't have to really deal with what really needs to be dealt with. But in a in a sense, Steph, is this not a little bit of procrastination? Yeah, so um it can be for sure. It can be procrastination when that's actually where my buffering behaviors shine the, the biggest is in procrastination <laughs> and i didn't even realize i was doing it in fact i didn't even qualify myself as an emotional eater at all because i wasn't sitting on the couch with bonbons in tears so i i just didn't think you know when you think emotional eater and and binge eater you think about those images the very stereotypical image of you know the woman on the movie who is crying in her room and you know stuffing her face with ice cream and Ben and Jerry's kind of thing but the reality is we buffer in so many other ways and we're emotional eaters in so many other ways and for so many other circumstances that have nothing to do with tears so yeah it can be procrastination but one thing that um, I think is an important distinction is that it just brings a sense of safety no matter what the negative emotion is so if it's Um, if it's pain from a relationship or it's pain from, you know, maybe you just have a really crappy boss that just treats you like steaming hot garbage or something like that, The, the food or this behavior gives you a dopamine hit, right? It just immediately sends these comforting hormones, neurotransmitters to your brain and it softens that edge just enough. Hence the buffering, right? It gives you a buffer between your pain and your reality. So it just kind of sits there and softens those edges so you don't have to experience them. And it's a very real thing.
0: Steaming hot garbage, Chef. Who hasn't had a boss that made you feel <laughs> <laughs> like steaming hot garbage? That is that may have to be a hashtag. And I <laughs> you have to just promote that in the show notes. It is it's so true. You know, there have been, and and as I'm, well, not just that, the fact that the steaming hot garbage is now stuck in my head, but (laughs) there's so many instances that I can think of where, you know, after a long day at the office where you've been constantly asking yourself, why am I here? I would come home and have a glass of wine. Not thinking, you know, that that was my buffer. I was just thinking, well, I've had a hard day. I enjoy wine. It makes me feel comfortable. But you know, upon reflection, now I'm sitting here saying to myself, "Self, was this my buffer? Was this 100%. that percent, that <laughs> bridge that I built for myself between the pain that I felt from the garbage filled day, yeah, and feeling having those." neurotransmitters send me those good feelings.
1: Yes. Yes. And alcohol is kind of a double whammy, right? Because it, it hits us on that pleasure level, but it also hits us on a chemical level where it just kind of physically numbs us out as well as emotionally. Sometimes, sometimes it enhances our emotions, but either way, we don't have to experience them in the same way as if we were um, completely sober, unaffected.
0: Now, I know that out there, you, you talked about the like the stereotypical ones you know the woman on the couch which is an image that i'm sure we have all seen at one point or another be it in the entertainment world or somewhere we've we've seen this image of someone having their heart broken and just a crying mess into a mess of ice cream or food or what have you right. but i'm curious now what are some of the other ways that buffering would show up and we wouldn't necessarily know about it or
1: necessarily be conscious of it um one of the big ones that people don't realize that they're doing is um shopping. They are Amazoning, you know, it's a prime prime Amazon Prime is so easy to just like buy it now, one click things where they're just like, oh, I remember I was gonna buy that. So they stop in the middle of like whatever uncomfortable thing that they're doing and hop on and, and do some shopping. Or um maybe they are even calling someone on the phone and complaining about their life and their circumstance because that makes them feel in the moment like they're being productive, like they're doing something about the problem because the other person on the phone, if it's somebody that loves you, is probably going to go, oh, yeah, you know, he's such a jerk or that situation is so bad. And they kind of validate your story that you're telling yourself about this horrible situation rather than, you know, going, well but what are you going to do about it? You know, that kind of thing. Even, even conversations can be ways that we buffer and not really examine our roles in, um, in the negative circumstances and, and help us move forward. Now, I don't mean to say in any way, shape, or form that some of that is um, unnecessary or unhelpful because actually buffering does, you know, when, when cortisol, is, which is our stress hormone for those that are unfamiliar, when cortisol goes up, immediately we kind of crave the high sugar, high fat foods. Nobody buffers on apples and salad. So, (laughs) right? Nobody buffers on apples and salad.
0: No, no. I I can't say that personally. I, I never have consciously chosen, oh my gosh, I feel really sad. (laughs) <laughs> Give me a honey crisp
1: apple. I've never actually done that. Right. And honey crisp apples are wonderful. They're wonderful yes. apples. They're my yes favorite. Yes, they are. But apple but you're not standing pie, in the you. fridge and like pulling off shreds of yeah. lettuce and just shoving them in your mouth because you're sad and <laughs> lettuce is sad. It just doesn't work that way.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> not in the
1: least. <laughs> right. So when, you, when cortisol goes up, we crave the fat and the sugar because that's what stimulates the um, the response that we're looking for, that comforting response. So it's not just like a mental behavior. It actually has a physical response. And when you have gone through something so traumatic or so difficult, this is sort of an advanced thing that I work with my clients on at times. I don't, I don't do this for everyone because usually people that have, are emotionally eating kind of don't even realize they're doing it. But if somebody knows that they're going to go through something really hard, like a chronic illness that they're dealing with with a parent, or maybe they are going through a really tough conversation repeatedly with a loved one or something like that, where they know they're going to be repeatedly um, triggered to overeat, oftentimes I give them I don't give them permission. I offer them to give themselves permission to buffer, to say, you know what? I have these tools in my toolbox. Steph has taught me all of these alternate solutions. And also I can plan to... Choose something that makes me feel comfort in the moment so that I can reduce my emotional response to this situation and come at this as an adult with a clearer head. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to use this as a tool. And you know, 90% of the time or more, my clients are like just having it on the table as a possible solution takes it off the table for me it's not exciting if i'm not doing it to myself if i'm not sort of using it as a punishment it's not it's not as effective so i know that i can and i i have that as an option but i don't take that option because i would rather deal with my emotions at this point so but it can be it can be a tool
0: let's dig deep for a second into an alternate tool instead yeah. of so we know now what we no buffering to be we have an idea of how it can appear when we're not really thinking about it but how what other tools can we use what what is there at our disposal as opposed to stuffing our face with chocolate cupcakes not shade people at chocolate cupcakes because chocolate cupcakes are amazing
1: (laughs) is there what other tools can we use assuming you are aware that you do it um, there are tools you can use. The first step that I would take with, um, with someone is to bring awareness that they even do it. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's a daily habit and they're, they're completely unaware that they're avoiding negative emotion. Because like you said, sometimes it's just procrastination and we all procrastinate, most people at least, to some degree or another with things that make them feel uncomfortable, like deadlines and, and things like that. So mm. um, I would, I would suggest as an option for people to maybe plan out their food or if you're going to use alcohol or you're going to use shopping, you could possibly just say, you know, I'm going to shop only this much at this time or, you know, create some sort of container for for something that you do regularly. And then the next day, you're going to do this the night before. So then the next day, if you don't follow your um, planned out food, because you've written it down, you said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm not talking plan out egg whites and salad for your whole day. This is not a moral thing. Uh-huh. This is, if you know dang well that you're going to hit the vending machine at four o'clock, put that on your list, right? right. So I want you to plan out what an, what you think an average day for you looks like and see if you follow it. And if you notice throughout the day that maybe at three o'clock you're at your coworker's desk snagging almonds or M and M's or something like that from their you know fun drawer, <laughs> or <laughs> or something like that, then you go, okay, what happened at three o'clock? Did I did did somebody say something to me or? You know, was, was, is there a project on the line? Is this always when my boss walks through, you know, coming out of his meeting and I'm trying to avoid him? What is going on at this time to make me land at my coworker's desk? Because I wasn't going to the vending machine until four and here I am at three and this is, this is probably a pattern. So just realizing what those patterns are is the first step. And then you can do a lot of different things with that data. I'm a data collector, right? I like to see, okay, what's really going on? And then we can start to experiment a little bit. Um, I don't like people to take this kind of stuff too seriously, we have enough serious stuff in our life as it is. And if you start to kind of layer on this guilt and shame and I didn't do it right. And, and now I know I do this and I feel terrible about myself. You're just going to buffer more. Yes. <laughs> no, no, you're just, you're just going to do it more because you're yes. already beating yourself up. Talk about steaming hot garbage. You know who, te- who treats you like steaming hot garbage? Yourself more than anyone. Yes. More than your boss, more than anyone else. So um, so I don't want you to take it too seriously. I'd rather you look at it as a curiosity, a science experiment. And then we say, okay, what would help? And maybe you practice sitting at your desk and letting your boss walk by and do some breathing exercises. Maybe you, you know, practice the six second breath where you're, you know, breathing six seconds in breathing six seconds out, or the 16-second breath, which is super effective, which is four seconds in, four seconds to hold at the top, four seconds out, four seconds to hold at the bottom. That will lower your nervous system really effectively, that that fight-or-flight cortisol response that you experience when you want to buffer. So breathing tools are excellent. Um, Another really great one is keeping a pen and paper next to you often, and at the very least, Give me five minutes before you go to bed to just kind of write down what your experience was throughout the day when you were buffering. Not as a, oh, I suck, I didn't stick to my plan today, but rather, what happened today? What did I experience? What did I avoid? What can I adjust for tomorrow? Because this is probably going to be a repeated situation. That's how they become habits and that's how they end up, you know, causing weight gain and debt and all of that kind of stuff um another situation that you could probably do is set an intention for your day on how you really want to feel and show up in your life i really like future self visualization so if i think back on 10 years from today so if i if i picture myself in 10 years and in 10 years i visualize or i imagine that 10 years ago today what am I going to hug myself for and say, thank you so much for having my back. Thank you so much for having my back every single day from today to 10 years ago. So if you think about who you want to show up as in the world, do you want to show up as someone who couldn't tolerate their negative emotion? Or are you okay to maybe say, if I could just give myself five minutes to breathe and two minutes to write down what I'm experiencing, and then I can just sit with that emotion and recognize? that it can't harm you. Your negative emotion can't do anything to you. That's the panic, right? That's the panic button. We run away from the negative emotion as soon as we feel it, instead of just going, okay, what if I let it sit here? And I let it kind of brew and fester, but I don't let it drive? What if I don't let it drive my decisions? I just let it hang out because it's part of me. It has a lesson. It's just an emotion. It can't do anything physical to me. Let me just, let me just observe it and watch it and see what happens and then make a decision from a place of clarity, like sort of as the watcher, instead of reacting to the immediate negative emotion. And that takes practice. It doesn't happen overnight. What if indeed stuff, what if
0: we sat with that emotion? Now, here's a question for you. What if the whole practice of not allowing ourselves to experience negative emotions, is that also a form of buffering? So people, for example, who refuse to cry or people who refuse to get angry or people who refuse to feel anxious or refuse to feel emotions that we classify as, air quotes, negative, is that also a form of buffering?
1: I mean, I really haven't thought about it, but I, I guess it probably is. I mean, it's kind of like the love and light crew, right? Where it's mm. just like, hashtag no, ne- no negativity. Well, you know, the world is half negative, And I want to experience some negative emotion. If you think about things that are, um, quote unquote, bad to you, right? So I think that as a collective, we can probably agree that, um, stealing is mostly bad. I understand that some people steal for their families and things like that. And people could probably argue with me, you know, all the reasons that not all stealing is bad, but let's just pretend stealing is bad for the most part. (laughs) I want to feel like if somebody stole from me, I would probably feel violated, especially if they broke into my house, for example, or child abuse, not good. I don't like that we have um, a conversation around sex trafficking right now. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a, it's a huge topic. I want to feel bad about that. I don't want to love and light that away. Um, yes. I want to experience that negative emotion because I don't want to live in a world where that's accepted and okay. I, I think that it's important to have some situations where you feel bad. I think, you know, as it pertains to your audience and people that are going through heartbreak, I think it's important for you to experience the negative feelings that come with the heartbreak. What role did you have in it for your relationship? What do you want to learn from it? What do you want to move on from? What do you never want to go back to again? What what situations do you never want to put yourself or your partner in again? Um, what conversations do you want to have ahead of time so that you don't have to go back to the same heartbreak and, and pattern again and again and again as it repeats in future relationships? I think it's really important not to buffer those feelings away. It's,
0: it, it completely is. And what I'm seeing is a collective aversion to feeling pain. Absolutely. Because it hurts.
1: Yeah.
0: It is not fun. I mean, who wants to be on the receiving end of that it's not you, it's me conversation? Who wants to feel those feelings when somebody you've been dating for some time suddenly disappears into the ether with no explanation and you're left there thinking, what did I do? What did I say? Or who wants to lose a loved one? To illness, to sudden death. Who wants to have a serious injury? Who wants to get diagnosed with an illness? Nobody wants to go through these things. Yeah. But the fact is, is, this is a part of our experience. These are things that inevitably, at some point, maybe not all of them, but some things are going to happen to us. And I think about the time when I found out that my brother had passed away. And when I think about the behaviors that I engaged in, I felt numb for a long time. I didn't actually, I was, and I think that numbness was shock. And I didn't actually really start to feel sadness until maybe a few weeks after, like after the funeral and all was kind of said and done. When as I was really then that's when it kind of hit me that He's gone, and now I feel sad. Yeah. But I and do remember making that conscious choice to just whatever came up, to feel it.
1: That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's very strong, right? We have to congratulate and at least recognize how much strength and courage that takes. As someone who's lost a sibling myself, I know that that's a very painful, um, a painful thing to do and also an extremely important part of healing mm-hmm. i think that you you have to experience those things if you want to be able to have any kind of healing and the pain doesn't go away either right it softens over time when you go mm-hmm. through something that traumatic and and heartbreaking but it doesn't it doesn't erase because you don't no. just mourn what you lost you mourn what could have been and what mm-hmm. you're missing out on now and that's the same with relationships and anything that you value deeply as that you mourn what you lose, but you also mourn what you stood to lose, what, what your future, the, the potential future, the identity that you had wrapped in um, some of these situations. Why do you think, Steph, that
0: there's this perception in the world right now that experiencing and allowing yourself to sit in these feelings is somehow considered a sign of weakness, you know, for example, men crying is you're not, it's that kind of toxic masculinity where if a man cries that he's less of a man. Why do you think that it, what, what is this? And I'm just looking for your own thoughts. Why do you think that it is
1: a sign of weakness to show emotion? Um, my, my biggest answer to this is and I had to think about it for a minute, but I really think that I have the answer. <laughs> is, is that people are extremely uncomfortable holding space mm. with no solution. So if you can't fix it for someone, then you don't know what to do with it. Somebody comes to you crying. Somebody comes to you upset. Especially if you're on the receiving end of that emotion, right? If you caused it, um, but but the perception is. Either you're upset about something that I'm not upset about or that I cause, and I now don't know how to fix it or hold space for it or allow it to exist because it creates their own discomfort. It's Mm. a mirror, right? Mm. Have you ever had a conversation with a friend where, you know, She or he comes up to you and is like so upset and you immediately go in with advice when really all you probably should have done is give them a hug and say, Oh my gosh, that's so sorry for you. You know, Mm. I'm sure you're I'm sure you're really experiencing a lot of pain right now. Let's just sit with it. Mm. That's a really hard thing to do. It's especially if you have the advice. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Because you don't want to see your friend or loved one in pain. Correct. You know, and I'm, as a parent, when my son is upset about something, like going to bed, for example, when he Uh doesn't want to, (laughs) (laughs) he gets really, really upset. So I've now learned to just, I literally just hold him until he's, he's all cried out. And then I just carefully explain to him that you need to sleep your body needs rest you're growing we'll read your favorite story and kind of go from there but even now i'm giving him that area to just okay if you feel frustrated about something we'll just feel it yeah give it a name and and we'll feel it so he's starting to learn to recognize what these emotions are yep but you're right now we're grown-ups Seeing somebody else in distress triggers our own distress points. And then we think, okay, if I can't deal with my own stuff, I can't deal with somebody else's. Even though that's my friend, that's my partner, my colleague, my buddy, whatever. So my first instinct is to A, run away. Mm -hmm. Or B,
1: fix it so I don't have to feel it. Yes you want to take their pain away so they don't have to experience it, but it's because you're uncomfortable being around it. And I don't mean you, I just mean, you know, people in general. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, it's, it's sort of like when somebody comes, you know, starts talking about something, I, I work with women and it's very emotional when it comes to food, right? Mm -hmm. We all have food stories and histories and things like that that dictate why we're overweight and 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 I have mine too and sometimes it brings up tears and for a long time I wasn't the best at creating a container for them and so the immediate reaction is oh don't cry but actually they should be Mm -hmm. they should cry and they should have a safe space to allow those tears to flow because that's obviously unhealed um circumstances and pain and you know Probably one of the things that they were told when they were experiencing that is, "Oh, don't cry. Okay, I won't cry. So what will I do? I'll eat. Mm. Yeah, I won't cry. So I'll I'll spend money mm-hmm. or whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. When sometimes
0: all we need is that messy, runny nose, yes. puffy eyes kind of cry just to release that energy.
1: One hundred percent.
0: So how do, for those who aren't familiar with the term hold space, how does one go about holding space for another person?
1: You know, I think that it has the very most to do with listening more than you speak Mm -hmm. and creating a comfortable place for them to express their emotion or express their experience without you making it about you. I think it's just saying, you know what? I'm here to listen. I'm here to experience this with you. And I'm not going to try to fix you. And I'm not going to try to advise you. And I'm not going to try to do anything to make it go away for right now. You know, maybe they'll ask your advice or they'll ask for some feedback or you can offer some feedback in a different situation. But I think holding space is just allowing the circumstance to be painful without trying to force it to go away and without trying to minimize their experience in it by saying, oh, it's all going to be fine, or everything's going to be okay, or you've gone through this before, or, you know, like any of the other sort of dismissive phrases that we think are so helpful, but they're really just making us feel unheard and um, diminishes what we're really going through.
0: And can anyone do this stuff? Can anyone, you don't need like any special training or, you know, take a course and how to hold space. Like, can anyone really do this for someone else?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that you can. It's just a practice. And, and also just giving yourself some grace around not having, being taught this, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. practice. It's learning how to sit in silence and experience somebody else's pain and presence as more important than yourself in that moment. I think that that's sort of the basis of friendship and good relationships and things like that is when to advise and when to step back and just space
0: hmm and can you do this um, over a beer some wings maybe a burger a walk in the park sure so those buffering behaviors for example the 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 drinking the overeating the shopping yep can you hold space someone even though you're engaging in these behaviors
1: yeah yeah you can I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think they're in competition with each other. Drinking might be sometimes because you don't, you're not necessarily, I mean, it depends on how much you're drinking, right? If you're drinking beyond your ability to um, be conscious and be there for someone in a way that's um, meaningful and helpful, especially Mm -hmm. if, you know, you're the one that's drinking and they're not or that kind of thing. But, you know, you always kind of have another stereotype of, you know, all the girlfriends getting together over a bottle of wine and, you know, laughing yes. it out and that, guy you know, was that a jerk. kind of thing he was terrible. right yes yes yeah. yeah exactly yeah but that where that comes in is my sort of permission to use buffering as a tool to process you know to not to process your emotions you're going to have to process them anyway but mm-hmm. it softens the emotion long enough that you know maybe you need to sleep on it and feel better tomorrow before you you know burn the house down kind of thing <laughs> rush right. you know what i mean like,
0: <laughs> like right. you might
1: you Ben and Jerry's is better than a house fire uh, yes yeah. yes you know so yes. there are situations where i would say you know buffering has a place it might be the best tool in your toolbox today that doesn't mean mm. that it needs to become a habit it doesn't need to be your go to but today just for today because you've got the, the match lit, <laughs> we're going to have ice cream, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Steph, I want to thank you so much for sharing your insight and really opening up this concept of buffering. I know that even for me, this has been so incredibly enlightening and I have so many takeaways from this conversation. I'm so grateful.
1: Uh, It's my honor. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and visit and I, I love talking about this stuff. So anytime. Thank you again.
0: Learn how to identify emotional eating and how it's showing up in your life and learn also learn how to change those patterns by downloading Steph's Ready for Change workbook. You can also follow Steph on Instagram at Centered Fitness, and I'll include both these links in the show notes. Tune in next week for another episode of Broken Hearted, where I'll have another unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. In the meantime, feel your pain and see what happens next. Follow me on Instagram at Althea Branton. Stay up to date with the latest news on
1: Brokenhearted. Send me a DM. I'd love to chat.